Let's talk about the plague of pornography for just a minute. Wow, this is one of the biggest issues that so many deal with in these latter days, but few talk about it or even know how to talk about it. And when they do talk about it, it's usually in a private setting with a leader who is expected to know how to navigate struggles with pornography. Thankfully, Leading Saints has put together a remarkable resource called Liberating Saints. It's a virtual library with 25 plus presentations focused on helping leaders be better prepared to help someone overcome struggles with pornography. We cover topics like how to minimize shame in the bishop's office, how to talk with children about pornography, and even how to talk about female pornography use in Relief Society. If you'd like to review the Liberating Saints library at no cost for 14 days, simply go to leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. While you're at it, we'll give you access to all of our virtual libraries that cover several leadership-related topics. So click the link in the show notes or simply visit leadingsaints.org 14. Hey, this is another How I Lead episode where we reach out to individuals across the world who've served in leadership or are currently serving in a leadership capacity, and we just ask them, how is it you lead? And they are always so good to send me in advance. I usually make a request to send me two or three leadership principles that sort of act as our agenda during the, the, the interview. And it leads to great stories and principles that hopefully you can be inspired by, and maybe they'll... Uh, lead to some new leadership approaches that you take personally. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with Weston Robinson, who's down in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he sent me an email a few weeks back and uh, wasn't looking to be interviewed per se, but he's been listening to Leading Saints for a while and sent some gratitude my way, which I always appreciate, and then uh, talked about his experience as a leader. And I thought, you know what? Why don't we get on the mic and and talk about it? So I want you to listen for... um, just the, the his unique approaches with with mentorship, with uh, perceiving the needs in his quorum. I think he's got a great approach of doing that. And then we get in a little bit of his story. It's a little messy. It isn't your uh, maybe what we categorize as a typical elders quorum experience, but I think it's more typical than we realize. So let's jump in. Here's my interview with Weston Robinson. Weston Robinson, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Now you're in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, how long have you been down there? I was born here. I was born, born and raised. Yep. Nice. Yep. Nice. And same with your wife, or? Yep. Uh, we actually grew up in the same state. We didn't know it until we were already like seniors in high school, but she was also born and raised here. Cool. So yeah. just your you as a person. Let's just quickly put you into context. When someone comes up to you and says, "Weston, who are you?" What do you say? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I. I am going to law school in the fall. I got my undergraduate degree in psychology. I've done a bunch of different jobs. I worked um, in construction for a few years, operating equipment, working in factories, worked at a show downtown doing lights and sound for comedy shows. Um, so I think as far as life experience goes, I have a pretty, pretty buried resume, maybe. Um, I, yeah, that might be the most interesting things about me. Been married for about five years. No kids yet. But... Cool. Now you emailed me uh, back in May of 2022. What led to you uh, hitting that contact button and, and sending me a message? Yeah. So I, um, I got back from my mission in 2015. Oh, I went to Ecuador in the oh, Ecuador nice. mission. Yeah. Love it. And I think leading Saints started in 2014. But the when podcast, I got back from, yep. yeah, the podcast yep. did. Yeah. 
so when I got back from my mission, I was looking for content. Like when you're on a mission, you're on like the spiritual high, like you always have like things to do and things to study. Um, so I started looking for podcasts and leading LDS at the time was one of those. And uh-huh. so I just started consuming all the content you had. And I just been a follower ever since. And I really enjoyed the content on the, on the, on the podcast and just appreciate the work you're doing. Cool. Nice. And then, uh, you had opportunity to serve in some leadership, I guess, twice as elders quorum president since your mission. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and then uh, reached out and shared a little bit about your story, right? Yeah, that's right. So I, because I started listening to Leading Saints when I did, I think it kind of informed a lot of the, maybe the, what I wanted to bring to a leadership role. Um, I would listen to some of the podcasts and things that would, that would come out, maybe read some of the articles and think like, hey, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe I'll try to do that. Um, and my leaders in church kind of saw that and decided to throw me in the fire, I guess. I don't know if it's a reflection on my ability or just a reflection on the desperation of the ward, but um, I was in a position a couple of times to serve um, and really enjoyed those opportunities. Nice. Well, and I responded that, uh, you know, I love hearing from, you know, different people that have served different callings and different demographics. And so being a, a young Elders Quorum president in a YSA ward and in a family ward, I thought, hey, let's get Weston on the podcast here and, and explore his leadership journey and see what we can learn from it and or just learn learn about what you learn from it, right? So sure, yeah. we'll jump into that. So you were the Elders Quorum president in the YSA ward. Is that where you met your wife then? Yeah. So um, or I guess you grew up in the same state. You we said did. That. So we actually met <laughs> uh, as seniors. We went to a uh, youth conference and there was a dance. And her and I met there, but at the time I already had a mission call. So I wasn't like really looking to date anybody, but we did go on a few dates. And then I left on my mission. She served hers and we both came back and we were in the singles ward together. Um, when I was serving as Elders Quorum president, she was serving as activities co-chair. Yeah. And those two callings. I think that's what the bishop does to like get people to marry each other is to put them in those two callings because we're working <laughs> together. All the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not endorsing that tactic at leading saints, but you know, <laughs> so people try it. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. It worked in our case. So okay. that's, right. that's where we met. We dated for a couple of years and got married back in 2017. So. Nice. Cool. So just so, with hindsight, like looking back on your time as Elders Corn president in the YSA ward and then in, in the family ward, was this after you were married, I assume? Yeah, yeah, it was okay. after we married, huh? Like, what what was the general what do you what was the general feeling from those experiences as an elders quorum president? Yeah, so I think looking back on the on the YSA experience, I think it was overwhelmingly positive. I mean, our ward was the university ward at UNLV, and so we'd go through ebbs and flows of people. I mean, during the summer we'd have like maybe forty of us, but then during the semester we'd have, I mean just, you know, a hundred or so, not, still not like a huge ward, but like big enough, like diverse enough to have an interesting experience. Um, and then the family ward was just, it was different in a lot of ways. I was the youngest guy in the room by probably at least 10 years, but oh, average wow. like maybe 25 years, you know? And so, and ironically it was the ward I grew up in. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting dynamic there as well. But, and uh, this was after the elders quorum high priest com- com- combining, right? Yeah, that's right. So I got married in 2017. I think the combining happened in like early 2018, April 2018. And then I was called as Elders Corn president um, like fall of 2019. So. Nice. Nice. Uh, Well, let's jump in. You sent me a list of principles here uh, that uh, that they'll probably guide us into some stories as well that you you experienced. Um, And the first principle is, is as I strive to repent daily, my connection with the spirit is enhanced and that, that allows me to discern the needs and concerns of others. I, I, that intrigues me. Tell me more. So I, um, as I was 
first of all, I did not expect you to respond to my email. Um, and then so <laughs> after you did, <laughs> I'm addicted to my did, inbox, Weston, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but after you did, um, you asked me to share like two or three principles. Um, and so I thought about it for a couple of weeks. And this first principle here is something that I think is just foundational to church leadership. I think that, um, in my humble opinion, I think this is part of why we have church leadership callings is to center our lives on Christ and to teach what little we can about how others might be able to do that. Um, if anything, it's basically to serve as an example. Um, and so that's kind of where this principle came from. I think it's at the foundation really of what our, of what our church leadership hopes to accomplish and calling people yeah. to callings and things. Yeah. So when you talk, when you say like strive to repent daily, I mean, I mean, this is sort of this idea, this general idea. Yeah. We're all, you know, striving to repent daily or whatnot. And, and so I think a lot of leaders say, oh, don't worry, Wes, and I'm doing that. You know, I'm trying to be good, and I go to church and take the sacrament. But is there, like, a deeper understanding to this concept that you found in the context of leadership? Yeah. Um, so I think that when I was younger, maybe, I used to think of repenting daily as, like, I'm going to screw up that often. Like, I really need to repent every day, you know? like, mm. And so it was more of, like, focused on maybe changing behavior, um, like trying to stop doing certain things, and, like, maybe, like, the more negative side of repenting if there is a negative side, but like at least in it, the mentality of a negative repentance, you know, like I've done this thing, so I have to repent and I'm going to do this every day um, as a result of sin. But I think as I've grown up, I've noticed that like repenting daily isn't necessarily just repenting of sin daily, but it's coming under Christ daily. Hmm. Um, and that, and that difference in principle has really meant a lot to me um, in experiencing different things in leadership. Cause like sure repenting, I mean, obviously it's important to repent. It's important to, to put sins behind you. But I think we seldom think about the other definition of repent, which is to turn, you know, to turn into the Savior and to really see how we can more fully center our lives on him. And that might not be dealing with sin every time, but it's how can I talk to my wife differently or how can I how can I treat my, you know, my family differently? Like those little nuanced things really come into repentance as well. And I think those those things might be a little they've gotten more important as, I, as I've gotten older, and maybe put some childish things behind me. I know that repentance is actually a process of coming under Christ and becoming more like him. And so what did that look like for you? Like the day-to-day, was it the, you know, focusing on scripture study and prayer and things? Or I mean, what did the day-to-day, you know, as you regroup mentally and think, how can I repent and turn into Christ today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It it did include a lot of scripture study. It included, you know, applying the scriptures into my life. It included maybe reviewing conference talks. Um, I, I think that, what, what was a goal for me and what is still a goal for me is to try to maintain a closeness to the spirit um, in all contexts and all situations. And so like that can mean like, you know, even like at work, if I'm, I work at a law firm right now, if I'm talking to a client, like how would Christ maybe approach this client hmm. or like, how would, how would Christ approach this basketball game? If that's what we're doing one night at a mutual, you know? And so I think just, just thinking about Christ in different contexts and how our character can, can mirror his, really is kind of the day-to-day aspect of it, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like that. Just sort of being in this cadence of, you know, I'm doing life with Jesus right now. You know, I'm, yeah. you know, even if I'm sitting down with a client, it doesn't mean I'm not doing life with Jesus. I'm still, he's still here, but I'm still trying to see that through that lens of, of Christ and, and that helps you turn unto him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then what about this concept of, you know, by doing that daily repentance, you better discern the needs and concerns of others. Like, how, how do you define that that dynamic, and how did how did you, how did it look in your experience? Yeah, um, so I'm going to share a little quick story here. I used to shovel dirt for a construction company when I was in my undergrad, 
Um, we shoveled a lot of dirt. There was a grading company. And we would pay <laughs> nice. every once in a while. And it's not like uh-huh. the funnest job, but there was a guy there. His name is his name was Jim. And Jim was 70-something, 76 maybe. And he would operate the equipment. And he was like, he'd been there a long time. But every once in a while, Jim would come out and he would shovel dirt with us. And you could tell just in the way that he did it, he knew what he was doing. He knew where the dirt needed to be. He knew what it needed to look like. And us like laborers like might be a little like less attuned to what it should look like if it's perfect, you know? And so I kind of take that and I think about it and think if someone like Jim has been doing this for years, he's made a pattern of shoveling dirt correctly because there's a right and wrong way to do it. Then just watching him do it is enough. Like you can learn from him. But then when he says something and teaches you how to do something, teaches you a principle about what we're doing with grading, that means a lot more because it's demonstrated in the way he does it. Mm -hmm. And so I think as, as a leader, maybe you're put in a position where people kind of look at you a little different or they look at you more often. And so if I maintain a habit of daily repentance and coming unto Christ, then if someone else is trying to do that same thing, I'm not saying I know it better than them or anything, but if I just maintain that habit, then I can share and hopefully they can be encouraged at least by my effort to do that. And maybe I can share some pointers, share some scriptures, share some things that have helped me in my growth to Christ. And that can in turn kind of invite and help them do the same. Yeah. So is it this concept of sort of, you know, getting out of the, out of the truck and down where, where their life is happening. And, and so you can better discern. Yeah, what they exactly. Need. Yeah. yeah. So I think as elders corn president, you're often put in a position where, um, where you can do just that. You can kind of jump out of the truck, like you, like, you know, and, uh, and kind of be with them and sit with them. That happens in ministering interviews that might happen in just, just talking to a guy after, after elders corn one day, you know, mm-hmm. just, just kind of seeing where they're at and seeing how, what they're doing to center Christ or to put their life centered on Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's just the, just being proactive about that, you know, after classes or after elders quorum, engaging and connecting and anything else you do to better discern the needs and concerns. Yeah. I, I mean, conversation is key here. Um, I think that you have to be approachable. You have to be someone that people can talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I, I credit my parents for that trait of mine. I'm not saying I'm like some great communicator, but <laughs> my parents can literally talk to anybody on the planet between the two of them. My dad, he'll go into any situation and just be able to make friends with who's ever there. My mom, she's the kind of person who, when kids are crying because they lost their parents at Disneyland, they run right to her. I don't know why. That's just the kind of person she <laughs> yeah. is. And so between those two people, I mean, I, I learned a lot about like communicating when I was a kid. I learned a lot about connection, um, not any direct instruction or anything, but just in the way they live their life. And so I try to do that. Um, in, in any situation I'm in really, especially a church where connection is so critical to, to our success there. Yeah. So I'll just try to be approachable, try to, I think the jobs I've had, life experience that I've had, you know, this last like short little five years has been enough to kind of give me some, something to say to anybody, you know, and that's kind of my goal is like, and that was kind of easy in the singles ward because we had such a diverse group being right there, kind of in the center of Vegas, you kind of get all types of people in your church on Sunday. And so it's important to be able to to have something to say when they walk through the door, you know, to be able to connect with them on any level, wherever they're at. Yeah. I mean, that concept of approachability is so paramount. I think it's one of those things we don't sit and consider enough as leaders of really, you know, getting to a place where you understand how approachable you are and then figuring out how to shrink that gap if you're not right. Because if, if you're not approachable, like you're just not going to connect with the the people or, or be there or be their go-to, you know, source when they do need some help. Yeah, I'd agree. Anything else with principle one we haven't what, touched on? Do we cover it pretty well? Uh, I, th- I think so. I mean, I just I just think that has to do a lot about trust, you know, and if, you, if you're living that kind of life, um, 
then people can trust you when you testify of the of the Savior's experience or the Savior's atonement in changing your life. You know, I just think that you can't testify that if it ain't happened to you. And so the more it yep. can, the, the stronger that testimony can be. All right, principle two, you, you wrote, if an individual chooses to see others as mentors, their perception of that person changes and they will be able to see the best in them. So break down this concept of mentors. Yeah, so this was kind of huge for me. Um, in the singles ward, uh, and it was different in both contexts. Obviously, in the singles ward, we're all kind of the same age, all returned missionaries. I mean, for the most part. Um, and so we all had kind of similar experiences. And in that ward, as I mentioned, it was pretty diverse. We had a lot of I mean, we had people, tradesmen that were in there. We had people working on PhDs. We had return missionaries. We had recent converts. And it was a pretty pretty diverse group of guys. Um, but something that, that we did as like a presidency was we had various people teach. Um, for a part of my time, as, actually, I think for the whole time I was Elder Scorn President of the Singles Ward, we had three-hour church. Uh-huh. We had four lessons a month. And so the presidency would teach like one of those. but And we had one regular teacher. But the other two lessons, we would try to assign that out to different members of the quorum. Um, and we did that in an effort to encourage everybody that they would know that, I mean, that their opinion matters, that they're valued um, and that they need to they need to share kind of their experience. And we kind of put them on the spot sometimes, you know, and kind of encourage them to do that just because it was critical to like our relationship as a quorum. And I think this, this mentor concept, I think, can kind of come out mostly when people are teaching lessons, like when they've been assigned a topic, at least in the context that we're given in the, in the vehicle we're given to discuss the gospel. Uh, teaching a lesson kind of is where that mentorship can kind of come in. And so in the singles ward, that's kind of how it looked, was kind of asking different people to teach lessons, maybe different people to participate in family home evening activities um, or even in planning events or activities that we had. We just try to get like different experiences involved there. In the family ward, it was very different. Like I mentioned, I was like 25 years younger than most of the people in the room, you know, and so it was very easy for me to look to them as mentors. I was also like raised in that ward. Uh, My wife and I, after we got married, we found a house kind of in that area. And so that was our home ward for a while. And, uh, and so I knew a lot of these guys, like I, and I looked up to them when I was growing up and it was, it was kind of odd to like be in a position where I was the elders quorum president. I just did air quotes. I know we're recording, but <laughs> I, I was called to this position, but it was like, I felt like I had so much to learn from, from the guys in the quorum. Um, and so we, I kind of pulled from what I knew. I, I encouraged others to teach lessons and that worked for a while, but what really changed my experience was recognizing that these guys kind of saw me sometimes occasionally as a mentor, someone who mm-hmm. might know a couple of things and might be able to share that experience with them. And um, I don't think that's a result of, again, like who I am as a person, but but maybe my experience in some way was able to benefit some of them and they were able to ask questions and build that confidence. And yeah. so that's kind of how that looks. I mean, I, I don't know if that was clearly explained or anything, but I, I just think it's, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm curious, like that that shift from like just being a, an elders corner instructor to them being seen as a mentor. So was there a different way? Like when you say you put them on the spot or like, was there a way you, you helped frame them in that, uh, that role as a mentor rather than just another guy in the corn? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I appreciate it. It probably helps clarify that mess that I just said, but, um, (laughs) I think that, but yeah, yeah. Like there were like things that we would do. So in the, uh, in the singles ward, we had this guy who was going to law school and so every lesson he taught was kind of in that in that frame, like and in the activities that we'd have and things like he was like our our legal expert, you know, like that was something that he could share with us. You know, we had another guy in the singles ward who um, was dealing. He was a, a recovering addict um, and he was attending the singles ward and he was someone that we called upon often to teach lessons. 
um, because he was in a place where he was still struggling with things. Um, but he had experiences that we didn't. Um, and, and through his, through the lessons that he'd shared and through the experiences that we had with him and, and different activities and things, we were able to glean from that experience and learn from him. You know, and so it's just little things like that. I think like lessons really aren't like the, the focus, but it's, it's in how you prepare them for the lesson. Um, so if I was going to ask somebody to speak in either ward or, or to teach in either ward, I would meet with them occasionally and I would say, hey, like this is what you do well. Like this is what I've noticed about you. How can you relate that to this topic? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we'd have conversations like that. And this was back when we would do the teaching in the Savior's way. Um, and so we would we would discuss that in the teacher council as well. Like how can the individual instructors kind of bring their own experience to a lesson? And sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't respond well to that and it's just a normal lesson. Other times you have this incredible welder, for example, who can come <laughs> in and explain how the gospel makes sense to him because it's like welding, you know, like who else would have thought of that? But this yeah. guy who can share this unique experience. Yeah. And so I, th- that's kind of what I mean. I mean, and then it happens outside of the church, outside of the chapel too. I mean, I would make an effort to, through ministering interviews, try to get to know the guys in the quorum, you know, and like try to understand their experience. And a lot of the, a lot of them I became really close friends with just because I thought like their experience was unique and it's something that I wanted to learn from. So I'd, we'd spend time together, you know? Um, and so that, that's kind of another side of that mentorship thing. Maybe it's like you have an opportunity to to learn from each other often in different contexts. Yeah. And I like that, that you give them permission to sort of bring their, their best skills and talents into the lesson, right? Because sometimes we have this cadence, this tradition of how you teach a lesson in elders quorum, right? And we sort of default to that, but to say, Hey, I want you to push past that. And you know, you're a welder, bring in some welding if need, or or you're a legal mind. Great. Or maybe you have a hobby of, of church history, like, Hey, wrap that into the lesson. And, And then, and my mind goes to like in my elders quorum, there's uh, uh, brother Bennett. He used to be over all of landscaping at the Bountiful Temple. And so whenever I have a landscaping question about my yard or whatever, I like, I go to him or I send him a text. I'm like, Hey, you know, what should I do about fertilizer or whatever it is? Right. Like, um, and, and he sort of becomes a mentor that way and and an expert, you know, the local expert of landscaping or or whatever it is. And so as a, I love that as a leader, you sort of give them permission to bring that into the lesson and be that smarty pants for, you know, 10, 15 minutes if they need to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. I just think like, I mean, that's what really brings you together is just kind of recognizing like the difference in experience. Yeah. I mean, like on Sundays, I think like it's easy to kind of think that everybody's just kind of the same because we're wearing the same shirt and tie, but it's really their lived experience is how they've, how they've come to understand the gospel, you know, and that's really what you want to hear about on Sundays. You don't really want to hear necessarily that cadence that you mentioned. Like you don't just want to go to the conference talk and and read through it. I mean, that's nice enough, but like what you really want is like, you want someone to explain how the gospel, how they've learned the gospel through their lived experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I, we just try to try to create a place where that could happen. And I don't know if it was successful all the time, but that was the goal. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different approach. I love it. Anything else about uh, about mentors and creating mentors that, that we haven't touched on? Um, I just think uh, just don't be afraid of it. Uh, I think when I, again, like when I was in the, the family ward and I had a brother approach me about an issue that he was having, his brother was in his you know early 40s and I was 24 years old. And I just felt like, I don't know, you know, but I wasn't going to say that to him. Um, and so he was in a position where he was coming to me Um again, not for any credit to myself, but just maybe desperation of the ward. I was in that position to help him. And, uh, I just, 
you just have to learn on what you have to understand what you can lean on as a leader. If you're going to be in a position to mentor and assist others, you have to know what resources are available to you. You have to know what it is, um, what it is you can really share with others and how you might be able to support them, even though your experiences might be, might be a little mismatched, you know, and you might be in a position to, to assist, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Third principle, if an elders quorum meeting is properly facilitated, then the quorum will engage and connection will deepen. I guess this sort of dovetails off of that last one. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And that was kind of the idea of these is like, I think like they kind of telescope a little bit. Um, but the, the experience that we had with this principle in particular kind of happened during 2020 during COVID. Um, we obviously couldn't meet for a while and I was called, I think, November of 2019. So it happened pretty quick. Um, in my time as Elders Corn president. And uh, my brother-in-law, like that first week in March after they announced that we weren't going to be able to go to church anymore, he suggested that we have Zoom lessons. Um, and that became like a thing that was, you know, a yeah. few months, a couple months later or whatever, that became like the way we did church. But he was on the ball. Like that first week, he said, we're going to do Zoom lessons and this is how we're going to do it. So I said, okay, let's do it. And so we, we had a Zoom meeting and the first one didn't go very well. Um, but like as we kind of practiced that, um, we got a lot better at it. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of where a lot of changes happened, not just, you know, not just in our ward, obviously in the whole church, but I think for our ward specifically, we were able to really focus on what makes the lesson important. Um, and what makes, uh, what makes that Sunday experience different from maybe a Sunday school experience and how we can connect as a quorum. We had a lot more to talk about, um, as far as, you know, quorum health went, like we would, that council period at the beginning of a meeting was actually something that we took advantage of that we'd kind of do an assessment and see if everyone's doing okay. Like what, what needs you might have in the quorum and how we can assess those. Um, and so it, it was just a unique opportunity, I think, to focus on, on what makes a good lesson or what makes a good facilitator. Um, and so, yeah, so it just, it was kind of a refiner's fire maybe of like yeah. elders quorum lessons. Yeah. So. Is there is there any specific principle or point as far as if you were you know leading a, a class on how to facilitate a core meeting like anything specific that comes to mind? Yeah, um, so this is something that I thought about recently. Um, I I read the the book because of your podcast. I read the book Trust and Inspire a few months ago. Oh, cool! And uh, in that, I think I mentioned this in like an email or something. But in that uh, first, well, in, in one of those sections, they talk about Gandhi. I don't know if you remember this. I think you read the book, but yeah, I did. Huh? They uh, they talked about Gandhi and how he was invited to like this UN meeting or something, and he was expected to give just like a few minute talk, but he gets up at the end and delivers like a two hour address that was eloquently given, and it was like perfect and it was inspiring. And afterwards, the um, one of the one of the event managers came up to Gandhi's secretary and said, "How did he how did he do that?" And there wasn't a teleprompter, there wasn't any notes. Like he he just spoke for two hours, and his assistant says something to the effect of what Gandhi thinks is what he is and what he says and what he does, you know, he doesn't need notes. It's just what he lives. And so I think without getting too philosophical and deep, I just think like if one thing could be said about facilitating a lesson, it's that if you're going to teach the gospel, you need to live the gospel. Um, if you're going to teach about Christ, you need to have your life centered on Christ. Um, and I mean, I don't want to say that facilitators shouldn't have notes because I believe they, they probably should. Yeah, sure. But if, but if you're in a position where you're prepared to, to teach a lesson or facilitate I just think those notes might might not be as important as, as your preparation yeah. for that opportunity. Yeah. And I love that. And there are, you know, everybody, you know, is prepared to some extent. Uh, and I love how Deanna Murphy's discussed this of walking into a class and being willing to surrender your notes and your prepared remarks or whatever, or the outline that you have 
to just lean into maybe the discussion that comes up. And, yeah. you know, maybe you don't know what you're going to say next, but you're going to lean into that, right? Or you're not going to yeah. stop a comment just so you can get back on to your, uh, to your lesson plan, right? You're going to exactly. just lean into the organic nature of what the spirit can foster there and, and facilitate, yeah. you know, heading over the facilitation of the spirit. And it gets messy at times, right? Or it can oh, yeah. sort of blow up in your face of like, okay, that didn't go well, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to try again. Right. Exactly. And that was a, that was a principle that, again, that was different between both experiences in the YSA ward. We had a number of return missionaries. And so the discussions were always pretty deep and pretty, you know, pretty relevant. Everyone was bringing out their scriptures and their experiences from their missions. And it was, I mean, the hour was over pretty quick, but it was a very good discussion, you know, and in the, in the family ward, you're dealing with people that have been doing church for a lot longer, um, that are pretty used to like the, the regular cadence of things and might not like that, um, you know, creativity or originality much in an elders quorum lesson. But I remember one of the, one of the things I did early on in serving that position in that ward was I would ask a, I would ask a question. Um, and I would tell them that we're going to be okay with silence. Like we're going to sit here for about Love that. 30 seconds. If that's what it takes, like we're just going to look at each other until someone wants to say something. And that was, and that became kind of a theme. Um, I, I love teaching. Like I love facilitating. Uh, and I, I would often take advantage of those opportunities. And I just think like, sitting in that silence kind of allows for the spirit to do what you just said. I mean, to facilitate the lesson, to help others, to encourage them to, to share what they need to share, you know? And yeah. so that was important. Yeah. Any, any other perspective as far as facilitating a core meeting that you'd want to hit on before you move on? Yeah, just that, um, I just think we need to think about it. What as we need to understand it as it is. I mean, it's a quorum meeting. It's not a Sunday school lesson. It's not a place where we come to review conference talks. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not a lot of things. What it is, is a place for people to gather, um, and to, and to discuss things that might be more sensitive. Um, I'm not an elders quorum any longer, uh, and I really miss those quorum meetings, but my dad, for example, just taught a quorum meeting yesterday. He, he taught, facilitated a lesson in his ward yesterday, and he talked about, um, being slow to anger. And he asked a number of the people from the quorum to participate, you know, weeks ahead of time, he asked them to write like a little little journal entry about what it means to be slow to anger and how that's worked for them. And so he had this outline of this lesson that he was going to prepare, you know, and he had a few people, a few ideas and he goes in there and he reads the first one and the discussion just takes off, you know, and everyone just kind of shares their own ideas and what they prepared. And I just think like that, that's kind of how it should look. You know, I think that that's, that's what our core meetings need to be is kind of a place where vulnerability can happen and people can address concerns that are, that are mutual, you know, that they, they all might share. So I think that as we facilitate and as we're careful about how we facilitate, that we can get closer to achieving that each time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's powerful. Good stuff. Um, and I don't know, I don't, uh, I don't know the good, good transition here, but you were mentioning before we record, as far as like your personal journey as an elder scorn president, wasn't maybe as storybook perfect as some people, you know, the stigma, you know, we'd like to sort of put the leaders on a pedestal, like, Oh, they've, they figured out life. Like they just do everything just right. They don't have problems because they, have embraced it, embraced the gospel fully and really make a mistake. Like any, anything to say to that, or we can skip it all together. What do you think? Well, I, I think it might be kind of relevant and yeah, I mean, let's if, if you're cool with it, let's do it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I think, um, I was not like a perfect elder scorn president. Um, I'm not a perfect person. Like that's just the reality. Uh, I struggled with a few things. Um, I came back from my mission and everything was okay. And uh, it quickly became an elders quorum president there in the YSA ward and had a great relationship with my bishop. Um, as a young elders quorum president, 
you know, being 20 years old, having a, a smartphone in my pocket, I made a lot of the same decisions that a lot of people my age make. You know, I, yeah. I struggled with pornography for a while and it was a difficult thing for me. Um, upon returning from my mission, it wasn't it wasn't something that I classify as like a critical issue. It was like occasionally every few months, you know, like one of those types of things. And uh, and I had a great relationship with my bishop in that ward. Um, I, we would meet every once in a while. We kind of talk about some things. And I was improving, and that was what was critical for him. So let me ask you, like, uh, you said you were made elders quorum president soon after going going to that ward. Was this something that uh, from the beginning was was an issue that you're open with your bishop about, you know, going into that role as an elders quorum president? It was something that he was aware of. Um, yeah. But again, it wasn't something like to say that it was like an addiction wouldn't be accurate. Yeah. It wasn't like um, out of control. Like your no. life was not uh, functional or anything like it, you, right. were, you had stability, but yeah, you had some slip ups and yeah, I mean, yeah, you're working on it in the world today. It's like, how, how could you, how could you not, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just yeah. like, it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and for a somewhat lonely 20 year old, it can really be something that you can, you can lean on. Um, and I have a lot of empathy for that. Um, so yeah, so, so there were a couple of instances before I was made Elder Scorn president, but we had discussed them and he was like, you know what? Um, you're the guy. And so he taught me to be Elder Scorn president and that's how it worked out. Um, and so, so in that, for those first like eight months, things were great. Perfect. I mean, like we ran the quorum, things were fantastic, grooving. And then the, uh, Bishop got released and, and the, the gentleman, they, or the, their brother, they used to replace him. He was an older guy. Um, he was someone that. Uh, I had a lot of respect and admiration for the ward. We really loved him and his wife, the new Bishop Brick. They were all like 75 plus. They're really old guys, but like, they were great. Like they really had like a good handle and idea of like how, how to run in a singles ward and how to, how to connect with the kids or the, the young adults. And, um, and so it was a really good experience for the most part. Um, and so I expected that this Bishop, he would kind of have a similar relationship with me as I go in with him and I discuss some things and, and tell him kind of who I am and what my experience is that we'd be able to kind of maintain that relationship. And the first time I decided to do this was at an FAG. I just asked Bishop calmly if we could step off in a room somewhere and have a, have a chat. And I kind of told him about some of the, the issues that I had had in the past. At this point I was, I was doing pretty good. I mean, I wasn't, wasn't slipping up or anything. I just wanted him to know as Bishop, I, I think he should know this about me. And, uh, that interview turned into a two and a half hour interview. And mm -hmm. this was during a family home evening where the rest of the ward is in the cultural hall looking for the bishop and, and elders quorum president, you know, when <laughs> we just weren't there. Yeah. And uh, during that interview, he, he talked a lot about excommunication. He talked a lot oh, wow. about, um, you know, eternal damnation and things and like, and concepts that I was very not expecting at all. Like I, this was it completely blindsided me. And, uh, but I mean, I was, again, I was a return missionary and I thought like, you know, he's completely justified. What I did was absolutely wrong. And this is, that's, that's the way it needs to be. And, uh, and so I left that interview and I cried in the parking lot for about a half an hour. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I wasn't okay. And, uh, and so the days kind of go by and I talked to some of my friends in the ward and just kind of share this experience with them. And, and pretty quickly I realized like that was kind of, it's kind of an overreaction, you know, and like my friends kind of helped me understand that. And this, and the behavior kind of persisted, um, with this Bishop, he, would come up to me on Sundays when I was kind of with my buddies up there and getting ready for sacrament. And he would tell me like, Hey, you know, you're not taking the sacrament today. Right. And like, and just in front of all my friends, you know, and it was like, yeah, Bishop. Yeah, no, I, sure, you're right. And, uh, and so that was my experience for about probably six or eight weeks. It was like that. Um, he talked to my girlfriend at the time who is my wife who I ended up marrying. 
he tried to convince her to like not marry me, like to not be with me to, to find somebody else. Cause I was useless, you know, and, and just all this stuff. And, um, I continued going to church. I mean, I, I can, I was there, I was there every Sunday. And I just remember that, um, that was a, that was a pretty great source of conflict for me. And I eventually met with, with my stake president. I, one of my friends suggested that I meet with the stake president and kind of tell him what was going on. And, and so I did, I did that. And I, I explained to him what, it, what had happened and, the bishop was released a couple months later, but we found out that he was he was dealing with some some dementia, like some form of dementia that allowed that kind of I don't know, that kind of like messed with his reactions to things. Yeah. I don't know the all the mental like the mental side of it. But there's some health concerns to say the least, right? Yeah, yeah. there are some health concerns exactly. Yeah. And so, and the sake president was, I mean, very understanding, and he he kind of took me in like under his wing and things, and and kind of helped me transition from the good experience that I'd had with the previous bishop. And he really kind of was gentle with me and helped me understand um, maybe some of the, the issues and things that this bishop had faced. Um, and after that bishop was released, one of his counselors were, was called as bishop and Grant Cox is his name. And Grant Cox changed my life. Uh, hmm. I love Grant Cox. He, the first week he was a bishop, as a bishop, he called Kira and I into his office and, and just met with us. And I explained kind of what I had gone through the last couple of months. And, um, and he began to cry, you know, and, and we just kind of kind of had a good moment there. And I just think like that, that experience really informed uh, a lot of how I feel about leadership um, and how I feel about empathy. I just again, I have nothing but love and admiration for that bishop that, that did his best, you know, given the circumstances. I just I'm, I'm grateful that I was surrounded by good people in our quorum. We had kind of established a brotherhood in that in that ward and they when it was my turn, they, they came around me and they, they held me up that way, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It was just, it was a unique experience. Uh, not one that I'd recommend or not one that I'd want to go through again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, no, yeah. I love that. And I'm glad you, you brought it up. And as many, you know, as the listeners know, we're not in the business of like po- pointing out awful leadership and throwing individuals under the bus and whatnot. But there's a few things I'm that I think that story is worth uh, sharing. One is just this, hopefully to, to crush the stigma that leaders have to be perfect and they don't slip up and they shouldn't have to meet with, with bishops or, you know, work on their life. Like that happens. And, and there's a lot of opportunity to find room for these individuals, depending on, you know, the severity of what they're struggling with and whatnot, to find room for them to still serve and, and not cast them out and say, well, you'll definitely not be the elder corn president next week. You know, we gotta, we gotta move quick here. Um, and then the other thing, point out is like the importance of community and brotherhood, like having a quorum and, and connections that you can go to and say like, wow, I just had this tough interaction with my bishop. Like, can, can I talk to you about it? And, and finding support elsewhere, you know, we don't have to put it all on the bishop to find support uh, and, and for him to say all the right things. And because if he doesn't, then that spins us out of control. And then I just love that, you know, you reached out to your stake president, you know, you can reach out to additional levels of leaders and and i know there's a million stories that people have of yeah i went to the the state president it was even worse or you know like i get that but i just love the the messiness the rawness of that and then bless his heart to discover that there's some health concerns that maybe uh stimulated some of that negative interaction and and you to have a forgiving heart and to move on and and i just love the in one story to just look at the messiness, but the, the empathy of leadership that we can show to those leaders striving to do their best. And I'm sure 
you know, he was, he was trying to say the, the right things and maybe it wasn't going so well. Right. So yeah. Yeah. great story. I, I think that's important to share and keep sharing. Thank you. No, I appreciate yeah. that. I, I appreciate that a lot. I, if, if you don't mind, I just have yeah. another little detail here. Yeah. Um, I think something that I learned from that experience, in addition to all the wonderful principles you just pointed out, um, I really learned that that church is for everybody, you know, and like, and I know that seems pretty general and it seems like something that we should just know, but I could see how someone easily in that, in that situation would just not come, they yeah. just don't come back, you know, and, and, uh, and it really came back to that brotherhood that I had, you yeah. know, and I think, and since then, like I've had excellent experiences with, with church leadership and, um, you know, my wife and I were, we're struggling with, uh, with fertility. Like that's an issue mm-hmm. in our home and it's, and, you know, and, and we learned this a couple of years ago, last year, it just kind of blindsided us, you know, we're a young couple trying to have a family and it just wasn't working out for us. And Kira was going to her doctors and everything, they were saying everything was fine. I went to my doctor and they're like, Hey, it's, uh, it's you, you know, and mm. they didn't say it that way, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they, probably, anyway, that's a good summary of it. Right. Right. <laughs> And, and, you know, and that, um, I think in a weird way, that initial experience with that bishop really kind of prepared me to, to be blindsided the way I was with that unique health concern. Wow. Um, because it just kind of put me in a position where I was able to understand that even though, like, we might not have, you know, the picture perfect experience or the picture perfect family, um, the, there's a place for us, you know? Yeah. Even though I was an elders quorum president that was being told by his bishop not to take the sacrament, there was a place for me. You know, and I, I love, I love that our church is that way. Um, and again, it's not perfect. I think there are a lot, there are places and experiences where that's not the case, where the church might not be that way. But I think like that's the goal. Yeah. And I think I'm just grateful that I've been in a position where I've been surrounded by people who understand that as the goal. Um, especially now, like in our in our wards now, um, our our bishop's just fantastic. You know, our state president's amazing, and and the, nothing but support. And I just I love that. And so I. Uh, I don't know. Those are a couple of unique experiences. Maybe, um, maybe not everybody goes through those, but I'm just, I'm grateful for them. You know? Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Weston. This was great. Uh, I appreciate yeah. you being so vulnerable and open and, and, and then sharing some of these principles that I think will bless a lot of leaders, especially elders, quorum presidents that, that listen to this. Um, last question I have for you is you reflect on your time as a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? And maybe you already said it, but you can read it. You can double down on it. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I have been thinking about that question for a while, and I don't know if there's a great answer for that. Um, I think that there's just so many things you could say, you know. Um, for me, it really comes down to being able to empathize with others. I think that's kind of what the gospel is all about. Um, and again, we kind of talked about this when I brought up that first point there. I think that um, as we lead, as we're in a position to serve others and to help others come unto Christ, we're we're in a vulnerable spot because our, a lot of our weaknesses kind of come through. Um, and I think it's designed that way. I think it's designed that God intends that we're in a position to kind of feel awkward sometimes, to feel uncomfortable, to feel like, um, like we need to do better. And I think leadership does that pretty well. Um, and so as I've been in those positions and as I've had experiences like that, um, I've been able to draw closer to others because I recognize their awkwardness, their uncomfortableness, you know, like their inability to fit in sometimes. And I can recognize that Christ is what really brings us together. And I hope that I'm serving in a bishopric right now in one of our, in the ward we're in. And I'm 
you know, again, a lot younger than a lot of people in there. And I just hope that through my experience, I can share with them that Christ is what brings us together. And Christ is the reason we're there. A lot of diverse opinions in the church today, a lot of diverse um, ideas and feelings. Um, but I just think that the ability to put that all aside and to, and to really focus our lives and our worship on Christ is what will bring us together. You know, so I think as a leader, I've learned to empathize with others and I've learned to appreciate their experience um, and, and learn maybe how to relate that experience to Christ and building that testimony up in them. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to access our full Liberating Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.